Daniel 3, 1 through 18. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to, the, to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar, the, of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace, of blazing fire. Therefore at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought forth charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be be cast into the midst of a furnace of of blazing fire. There were certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, Trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning the matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So how many of you have heard this story before of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Yes. If you've stepped foot in a Sunday school room, you've heard it. This is common. In fact, I sometimes get concerned that it's so common. We've heard it too much. And it's lost its luster. But I can't help but to look at the last few verses that Eli read. Verses 16, 17, and 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. 
Are they respectful? Yeah. Are they honest? Yeah, it's interesting. Those two things can work together. It is confusing sometimes. And they say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is, what's the word, church? Able. You don't want to miss that word. God is able to deliver us from the the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you. Now let's back up so we make sure we get this. Even if God doesn't want to choose to deliver us, it's not whether he has the ability or not. It's whether he wants to do it or whether or not it's his will. Now we don't like that. Because we say, Oh God, do it my way. In Jesus' name, hoping that'll get us some brownie points along the way. Amen. I'm thankful that these boys had a proper perspective of who they served. Even if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you. Let's make something crystal clear in your thinking, King, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I have one amazing word to place on this situation, and it's stressful. Would you agree that this is a stressful situation? So why are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not stressing out? Did you notice that? I mean, I bet if you look at the Hebrew here, you would find the words cool as a cucumber. (laughs) Nothing's shaking them. Nothing's bothering them. Their lives are hanging in the balance. And they are resting in the facts of who God is. I cannot help but to ask the question, is this not the response I would want for my son should he be in this situation? I have to be honest, we've kind of duped you in being here. Because it says child dedication. That's going to happen. But what we really know that this is, is this is a parent commissioning. It's not really about the kids. It's about what the parents are going to do to ensure the ideal goal for the kids, for their children those whom God has entrusted in them to disciple. That's a big deal. That's a much heavier weight. And I think that it's important we understand the clarity of how we deal with that. Would everybody agree that stress is a problem? How many? Raise your hand if you want your kid to go through some stress. Okay. Okay. And why is that? There were six of us that raised our hand. Why is that? It builds character. They learn trials. Trials are good teachers, aren't they? See, that's what's interesting is it's those stressful times that causes somebody to make a choice, to make a decision, and not only to make a decision, but to stand on that decision, be rooted in that decision, and not waver from that decision. It causes something largely that our culture has missed in the past 40 years called critical thinking. It also causes for people to stand by their word when they say it. And these are qualities that are missing from our youth in America. I think one important thing for us to ask is, is if we're going to deal with stress, stress is going to come regardless if we want it to happen or not. It's going to happen. 
So the idea, in fact, we would say it would be a grand mistake if the parent's main goal in raising their children is to always keep them from stress. What happens when they meet stress for the first time as an adult? They have a meltdown. So if they're going to meet stress, we know it's going to happen. We know without a shadow of a doubt this is what's going to take place. How do we teach them to meet it? And that's the question I want to answer. If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 127. Just to the left, a few books. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. What's interesting about Psalm 127 is this. Yes, does anybody need a copy of God's Word? Thank you, Kenny. Anybody need a copy of the Bible? Raise your hands. If you don't have one, we'll give it to you. We're all about giving here. Excellent. Right up front here. would be great. Zach's quicker than you, Kenny. Anybody else? Anybody in a more immediate proximity to Kenny so he can get to you before Zach does? Anybody? That's good. Right over here? Anybody? Yes, right up here? Do you need two? Just one? Okay. Okay. Thank you, Kenny. It's the heart that counts. I love you. It's good. The interesting thing about Psalm 127 is that in Jewish culture, whenever a child was born, this was a psalm that was read out loud in order to commemorate this occasion. It was a psalm of thanksgiving for the birth of a child. This was a mainstay in Jewish culture. You have a child, this was said. And that was just what was understood in that culture. And so I think it's important for us to maybe take a look at it and ask the question, why in the world would they want to do that at the birth of a child? What is significant about it that maybe we could learn from today? If you look at verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. Now we're going to stop there. And we're going to read the rest of it here in a minute, but let's deal with what we have before us. Why in the world would this be communicated at the birth of a child? Let's start here, and and I, I want you to notice something that I've actually got in the scripture verses on the screen. Notice I've got an A-B format. And if you're someone who likes to mark in your Bibles, I encourage you to get out your pen and maybe take note of how Solomon goes through. And he wants to give you a compare and contrast format for this. And if you want to know an easy way to look at this, the A portion deals with submission to the Lord. One of the greatest problems that we have in our culture, and it's not just a a problem regarding youth, it's a problem regarding adults, is we have lost the art of submission. What it is to submit to authorities. What it is to reverence or respect those who are over us and recognize that we need to fall in line underneath them. Let me give you a clear example. How many of you were speeding to get here this morning? Don't answer. And if you're not sure, God knows. So that should be enough to get our attention, maybe. But we've lost the art of submission. 
And if we as adults have lost the art of submission, and how do I know that we've lost the art of submission? Because griping and complaining is at an all-time high in the American church. It's not too far for something not to go our way in the world for us to immediately want to post on Facebook about how much we disagree about it. In the Bible, God gives us three areas of submission, with one broken into two. The first one is submission in a church setting, as the body of Christ. We submit to Christ as the head of the body, but not only that, we are called in Ephesians 5 to submit to one another. That submission rolls out into the submission within the family. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves a church and gave himself up for it, loving and submitting to her to the point of death. Everybody usually wants to look at it in one way. Well, she's supposed to submit to me. You are a short-sighted man. Read the rest of the text. And then we have a submission that is mandated in Romans 13 about submitting to our governing authorities. Unless it is a violation of Scripture and tries to silence us on the gospel, we are to be compliant. Period. Why is that? Because in each one of those situations that you find, the opportunities for the gospel of Jesus Christ are hindered when we take things into our own hands. Let me tell you this. In the family setting, it's not any different. It's not any different. And so if you look at verse 1, Dealing with the A part, unless the Lord builds the house. B, they labor in vain who build it. B would be the stress that is derived from human effort. It is inviting stress because you're disregarding God. In fact, let's go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. A lot of the stress that we feel in life is actually brought on by ourselves. I am the most stressful person I know. I'm probably the most stressful person that you know, too. So, Emily, are you smiling? Just making sure. I'm the most stressful person in Emily's life, I'm sure. But we all the time heap stress on ourselves. So how do we deal with it? Number one is the Lord at the center. Was he at the start of it all before we even set forward? Verse one, unless the Lord builds the house. Stop. Are we really talking about bricks and mortar here? No, we're really not, are we? We're not talking about this idea of bricks and mortar. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with submission and reverence. Before I set out to do this, and whether this be a literal house, a structure that you're going to bring up, or whether this is going to be the fact of building your house as in your family, because house is often used as a family, the house of David. It's talking about the kingdom of David, the house of Solomon. It talks about his kingdom and the people, the progeny that come from him. So it's very much used interchangeably with the idea of family. Is the Lord in the midst of you building your family, your house? If not... You are building your family in vain. Does anybody know what the word vain means? Not veins. Does anybody know what vain means? It means empty. It means nothing. It means hollow. It means substanceless. It means that you were so busy binge watching Hill Street Blues for six days that you wonder what you just did with your life. It's those types of things. Anybody get that reference at all? Okay, it just wasn't a good one. Thank you. That's great. All right. But if you labor, you labor in vain. Now here's the question, why? Because God wasn't with you. And if God wasn't with you in the midst of your plans, 
That means you were doing it all without him. It means that all of it rests upon you. When I think about that, that's a scary prospect. We'll be familiar with this. John 15, 5. I'm the uh, the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Same idea. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And this is the point that's being communicated here. So A is submission. I'm going to submit and seek for God's way to be first. B is, I got this God, just don't even bother yourself with it. I'll take care of it. Dangerous ground. Look how it moves forward. Unless the Lord guards the city. And everybody notice these are in present tense, builds, guards. How you're presently living in your life. Unless the Lord, unless Yahweh guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Any of you tried to guard a city? In fact, they went to huge lengths to guard cities. Not only did they have tall walls around their cities, they had thick walls so that if somebody did scale them, they still had to run about 25 to 35 feet before they even got into the city. Now that's somebody that's got a lot of insecurity. Trying to guard your own city without the Lord will guarantee it's going to be conquered. That's a scary place to be. Why is that? God is not with you. God is not with you. That's a scary place to be. How about the next one, verse 2? It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, and to eat the bread of painful labors. Notice he switches it, and this is all a B section here. To rise up early, retire late, and to eat the bread of painful labors. All of this has to do with working yourself extraneously in order to try to provide for your family. The early bird gets the worm. Everybody know that one? Not without Jesus, you don't. That bird goes hungry. Anybody try to stay up late, crunching numbers? Try, I just got some work to do. I just got to get it done. Where's the Lord in that? Ask yourself this question. Where is the Lord in that? Working hard just to feed yourself. Because here's the A section of this. Don't miss it. He caps it off with the A section at the end. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Now if you notice, even in his is in the italics. Everybody see that? And the reason is, is because the phraseology in this Hebrew script is extremely difficult. It's very obscure. A lot of people don't know exactly how to translate it. But what seems to be the best understanding of it is, for he gives to his beloved, and you can mark out even, and you can mark out his, and in sleep. In other words, those who trust in the Lord can rest well because he's providing even while you're sleeping. It's not about you having to work harder and harder and harder because if you're doing it in the flesh, it's vanity, it's vain, it's nothing. It equals zero. Where is God in the midst of your work? Notice what it's given. How you set up your house and your family structure, how you exist in community with other people, and what your occupation is. The Lord should be at the forefront of every one of those things. You say, well, that sounds good and great, and maybe I've been dealing with stress brought on by myself because that hasn't been the case. How in the world do I do that? One word, submission. Coming to the Lord and submitting yourself 
to him. Lord, I cannot do this. I need you to do this through me. It is not within my capacity. And it's okay to admit weakness. I think our culture could stand a lot more meekness and weakness and humility admitted by our people so that we would get out of the way and see more of what God is able to do through weak and meek and humble people. Now here's the interesting thing about this. If I've learned anything in my three and a half years of being a parent, it's that I don't know a thing. And once I think I'm getting somewhere, I'm not. But what I do know is that he picks up on a lot more from watching me than he does for me teaching him. So now I have to tell a story. We've already put up our Christmas tree. My wife loves Christmas. I'm okay with it. I'm not a big Santa fan, but whatever. I'm not going to be the whole, did you know the same letters in Santa and Satan? I'm not going to be that guy, okay? (laughs) You didn't come to that church. But we have all kinds of ornaments to put up on the tree. I really like Johnny Cash. I like the man in black. Love his music. Good stuff. Um, So my mom one year got me a little jukebox ornament that when you hit the little button, you know, all the ornaments got to have buttons now or they're just not cool. You hit the button, the jukebox lights up, the little record inside starts spinning, and it starts playing Ring of Fire, okay? So we're coming back from from spending some time at Devil's Lake yesterday, and I'm driving along, and I hear something in the back, and Beth wasn't with us, and I'm sitting there driving along, and I hear, I fell in to a burning Ring of Fire. Went down, down, down. Flames went higher. And it burns, burns, burns. <laughs> so I'm sitting here saying, Praise the Lord, the kids got melody. He knows, so. He knows when you're supposed to hit that low. No. That was caught, not taught. Or Johnny taught it to him, not me. Either one. But parents, let me ask you a question. If one of our greatest things that we want is for our children to be able to answer in the same way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, when they're in the midst of a national stressful situation where everybody's watching them at one time and they have a choice to make, do they catch that from you or do we just teach that to them? Do they see submission to the Lord in the parent? So that they can easily grab a hold of it. Are you a parent that reverences God in everything that you do? Is he ever before you in your life's decisions? Are you holding hands around the table for meals and praying? Committing it to the Lord, thanking him for who he is and what he's done? Are you praying with him early in the morning? Are you looking to take time out to open scripture and teach your child? Raise your hand if you're a dad. I'm going to let you know something right now. I'm not kidding about this at all. This is, this is a truth that I had to learn the hard way through almost 18 years of marriage. If you are a dad or a father, if you, well, I guess it's the same thing, or a husband, you have to be an amateur theologian. There is no way out of it. Because you have to deal with the subject of God with your wife and your kids at any given moment when they ask. 
And if you are giving evolutionary answers for the way that things have transpired instead of unfolding to them that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he created everything according to its kind, you have immediately planted a seed of deceit in their brains. You have to be an amateur theologian. You have to be able to explain to them, as Jeremy said, we know that Jesus died, we just don't know why. Those are the types of questions that kids ask. Those are the type of questions that we need to be able to give answers to. And you say, okay, well, how do I do that? Here's the key word today, submission. Submitting yourselves to the scriptures. Submitting yourself to prayer. The Lord, making sure that if your house is going to be built, the Lord is at the center of it. And you're not doing it in vain because you will wear yourself out. Making sure that if you are going to have some sort of give and take in the city, Guarding the city, being an upstanding citizen, just say it that way. The Lord had better be at the center of it or you're going to do it in vain. Rising in the morning, working late at night, recognizing that the very bread that you're putting in your mouth, you had to work long and hard for that and you are begrudgingly dealing in that situation. It's vanity. It's empty. Why? Because you can't find the Lord in the circumstance. You'd be amazed at how joyful work is when the Lord is at the center of it. Why? Because you're not working unto your boss, you're working as unto the Lord. You'd be amazing at how joyful the family is when the Lord is at the center of it. Why? Because wives are not submitting to their husbands because their husbands are worth it, because the Lord is on the other side of it. Because husbands find it easy to die for their wives when they see that that's the model that Christ set forward. Then when we start teaching children and training them according to the ways of the Lord, they recognize that they're not submitting to their parents strictly because of their parents. It's because God has put those parents divinely by his will in their lives. That's what makes them worth submitting to. It all comes back to God being at the center of the situation. Submission. Submission is the key. Look at verse 3. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. This is a sensitive matter because we know clearly from Scripture two things. Number one, the Lord gives children. Number two, the Lord withholds children. And He can choose to do that. There's plenty of Scriptures to back that up. I would encourage in that situation that the prayer before God is not necessarily what we would want to happen. Instead, it's asking what God has in store that is best for us and then having the ability to accept it. I can speak from experience because we were never supposed to have children. The doctors told us, no, it won't happen. So we accepted it. When we begin to ask the question of, well, should we look at adopting, and we were actually talking with people at adoption agencies, We were submitting ourselves to the idea of, God, what do you want? Because let's be honest, if we want something other than what God wants for us, we've invited stress. We've invited problems. We've invited the flesh into the situation. This is how Abraham got with Hagar, and they end up having Ishmael. It was an act of the flesh. It wasn't according to the will of God. So what do you do? You come to God. You stick your hands out and you say, Lord, whatever you want, I submit. You know better. You know all things. I submit. 
Because here's what we do in situations like this. We look at this and we see that children are a gift. We see that they are a reward. And if I have to be honest with you about the rest of the Old Testament, this word reward here actually has the idea of someone that is worthy of wages or a payback for work that has been invested. That's, that's what the word is used as overwhelmingly throughout the scriptures. If you notice, you have a marginal note here is this word gift. If you notice, it's the idea of a heritage. It can also be translated as possession, inheritance, those types of words. Now you say, why in the world do I need to know that? Because here's what we often do is we look down upon people who either haven't gotten married at a certain point in their life, and so therefore we shame singleness, which the Bible does not do. It actually promotes it so that someone can be wholly devoted to the Lord. Or we shame upon people and, and whisper behind the backs of people who aren't able to have children. That's wrong. That's wrong. We don't know what the Lord's plan is, and it is foolish for us to presume upon it. So why don't we submit ourselves to the Lord in, in, their, in his plan for other people we know that struggle with those things? I think those are prayers that the Lord would honor and be thankful for. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. You might be thinking, does that mean they're going to cut you? Probably. <laughs> Let's just be honest. They might get you every once in a while. And what's sad about where we live now is we've lost the thrust of what this might mean. How many of you have done bow hunting before or just shot a bow? Okay. Some of you girls are like, I love the Hunger Games. That's me. Whatever. Okay. You need Jesus huge. All right. But how do you get your arrows? Go store and buy them, right? Take me to the arrow store. Do they have that? It's like catching a deer, isn't it? (laughs) Take me to the arrow store. But somebody already made them for you, didn't they? Okay, think about that. Look back at verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. If you're a warrior... You've got to shape your own arrows, don't you? You've got to craft them. You have to sand them. You have to make sure and get the feathers on just right. You have to choose what the arrowhead is going to look like. You know how that is. We've seen different arrows, yes. Arrows are different. Just a straight shaft into a little point, okay? Pinpoint there. You've got some that flare out. Man, when they get in there, you try to pull that out, it's going to do a lot of damage. You might as well follow it all the way through, right? And then you had Rambo that showed up that had one of those that detonated upon impact. Our kids are just like that. Exactly. Now, I don't know how Solomon knew that, but he was a smart man. Arrows have to be guided. They have to be crafted. And it's not just, I think this is going to work. That's the guy that's not catching anything. He's not eating that night. If you want to be guaranteed that you are going to have food for your family, you take a care in how you prepare for the future hunt. Or let's draw the analogy back to the point at hand. You parent with the end in mind. See, when I see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think, good grief, I would hate for Nathaniel to be in that situation. But if he is, I want him to respond like that in that situation. He doesn't have to be mean. 
He doesn't have to try to pull rank or be haughty or have arrogance about him or anything. There's no smugness that needs to be here. He can be reverent to the authorities, but still reverence the highest authority in the midst. That king didn't rule because he was elected or he earned it. Same with our leaders today. Those leaders rule because God put them there for a reason. A reason that we may not understand and a reason that we may not agree with, but nonetheless, God controls it. May it be the same with our kids. So we craft them, we shape them, we teach them, we guide them, so that when we set them off, they hit the target every time. Now here's an interesting part here. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now here's what you do when you read that. You say, well, I know such and such who had 24 kids and they can't take care of them worth of, you don't have a lick of sense between them. What in the world's going on here? They're all sharing a brain. How in the world's that going to work? <laughs> right? So does that mean the word of God is wrong? No. It means that sinful people got a hold of a situation they couldn't handle responsibly. And if the Lord is not at the forefront of that family, you can guarantee it's going bad. How do I know that? When we got pregnant, I went and found a man who had nine kids. He's a pastor. And some of the most normal kids I've ever seen in my life. And I said, I don't know anything. Teach me something. Because obviously it's worked. I mean, you had the first four to finally get it right, and then from five on it started clicking maybe. I don't know. But all of their kids, well-adjusted, well-behaved, fantastic. So obviously he knows something that I don't, and I'm getting ready to walk into a situation with one that we weren't expecting at all. I need some wisdom from an older man who's been there and done that. And as he walked me and my wife, he and his wife walked me and my wife through everything that they did, here was the one common denominator, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord. The Lord is at the center of everything going on in their house. Everything in the decisions they make, everything that they participate in, everyone that they let their kids associate with. They're not sheltered. They're not going to know how to, I can't handle life when I get out there. I can't even balance a checkbook. What's wrong with me? That's not them. They know how to do all those things and much more. But just because they were able to get those trades those talents, those acquired skills, doesn't mean that you had to throw the Lord out the window in order to get them. They found out a way to make it both and, not either or. That is the skillful crafting of an arrow that fills a quiver. Notice how blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Now here's the interesting thing, and I think we need to think long and hard about this, and you, you draw the implications that you want from it. Not every arrow makes it in the quiver. Only the ones that are going to achieve the purpose at hand. And I think that's important to understand because here's one thing that the Bible teaches us. This is a life lesson. You can't make anyone do anything, can you? No. All you wives are like, amen, preacher, preach it. You can't make anyone do anything. But you can guide them. You can coach them. You can train them. You can reiterate, you can exhort, you can do this. And you can apply as much discipline as you need to in order to correct and train. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible advocates spanking. If you think that's weird, let's talk after this. It is okay for parents to be 
leading their children. But there are some situations that you have where kids just won't listen. And that's usually when they're older, they know it all. And if you don't agree with them, you're dumb. They don't make it very far, do they? They don't. Why? Because they lost submission. They didn't realize what it was to submit. And because they are the God of their own small universe, they have created destruction for themselves. Where's the Lord in that? Everything they do is vain. Blessed is a person whose quiver is full of them. Notice this. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. You say, what in the world does that mean? In the gate. Do me a favor real quick. Put your finger here. Turn with me to Job. Back just a little bit. Job chapter 5. There's something revealing about the gate of a city. If you're familiar with ancient Near Eastern culture, the gate of the city was where everything went down. Commercial trades, judicial decisions. There's a lot of talk that was going on. It was the water cooler of B.C. is the idea. And there's something interesting that's said at the beginning of Job chapter 5. This is one of Job's friends talking and he says, verse 2, For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple. I have seen the foolish taking root, and I cursed his abode immediately. Now watch this, verse 4. His sons are far from safety, which stop. What that automatically tells you is that the one that we're talking about from verse 2, foolish, jealous, the foolishness that takes root in the person, that his abode where he lives is cursed immediately, that's talking about the father in this situation. Does everybody see that? Obviously the father is not under submission. And so look how it trickles down to the children. Verse 4, his sons are far from safety. Watch this. They are even oppressed. The word means crushed. They are even oppressed in the gate and there is no deliverer. In other words, and I'll just use this phrase because we can all relate to it. Because dad is acting a fool. The children are receiving the brunt of that in the places of commercial trade, judicial decisions, chatter, conversation, community. They are shamed in a situation because their dad doesn't know how to handle life. Why is that? Because he's not submissive. The Lord is absent. And so the place where everybody knows everybody and does everything at the gate is a place of shame for them in this situation in Job. Now think of that. Turn back to Psalm 127 and look at verse 5 again. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They, who's they? Who's they? Children. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Do your children know how to speak to their enemies without losing it? Do you know that your children have enemies? They do. I just want them to get along with everybody. That's a pipe dream. Lay down your essential oils and move on with life. That doesn't work. You are high on peppermint and eucalyptus at that point. Calm down. Children have enemies. The school bully, right? They want to pick on the good kid. They want to pick on the kid that's trying to do right. Just because you're seeking to raise your kid according to the Lord doesn't mean everybody else is. 
So how do they deal with that? Well, by crafting them, encouraging them, training them, not keeping them in the dark about situations, always telling the truth to them, and them seeing a pattern of submission in your life, that becomes a much easier path for them to tread. They're not going to be ashamed when they're in the midst of those social circles. Why is it? Because they can even talk cordially to their enemies and have disagreement. Man, how amazing would it be to have a kid when he gets picked on it? Leave me alone! That's gone. And he's able to calmly, patiently, intelligently entrust himself to the Lord to handle the situation. Why? Because that's what dad taught him. Because that's what mom taught him. Why? Because the Lord was at the center of all of it. Can everybody smell what I'm stepping in this morning? Okay. Turn back with me to Daniel 3. If you see anything in chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, you see that these kids, and they probably were, were still in their teens at the time that this happened, were in submission to the Lord. There's not a doubt in our minds. Submission did not set well with the authorities, and so let's watch what happens. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes. That sounds like something that's going to burn pretty quickly, doesn't it? And were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent, and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded, and he stood up in haste, And he said to his high officials, Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. Now watch what God does. He said, Look, I see four men loosed. Everybody see that word loosed? Thrown in bound. There's only three of them. The king peers in. And there's four of them, and they're not bound. Which tells me that God allowed for the fire to consume their ropes, but not them. God is able. He tells the fire where to go and where to stop. And it does exactly what he says. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. And he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God. Now, this portion of Daniel is actually written in Aramaic. It's not Hebrew, so I don't know what the Aramaic is for the Hebrew El Elyon. But this is a word that he was known as all throughout Old Testament times. The Most High God. The Creator, not a creation. 
not an idol, not an image, not something that we bow down to and form and fashion into our own likeness so that it will appease all the wants that we have. This is the God that is able. And it causes confession from the lips of the authorities. Watch this. He says, come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps and prefects and governors of the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. You wouldn't even known they were there. If you walked in the room, you wouldn't have even known they had spent any time in this furnace. Verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command. Notice, willingly broken the law. But notice, it's because they put their trust in Yahweh. And here's what it says. And yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Some things I think we need to take from this. Number one, where did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learn this type of submission and trust of God? I guarantee you it was from their parents. If we know anything about the book of Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Shema, it was read over and over in situations and how a Jewish household was set up to constantly reinforce a child's teaching and putting them in a perspective towards the Lord always, it's easy to see where they got this from because the house was saturated with things that glorified God. Not just an ornament, but an attitude. What else I think is interesting about this is, is this not what we want for our kids? That when they step away from the stressful situation because they trusted in God, you would have never known they were in it. Why? Because they weren't freaking out in the midst of it. Why? Because God didn't change and they were perfectly submitted to him. Now, if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. That's good stuff. What else we want to see is, is that by holding fast to the Lord, if our children would hold fast to the Lord and continue in submission to them, that is an avenue that is used in order to change governments and rulers and authorities. Everybody noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they got near, didn't go, it's hot. <laughs> Everybody notice that? And yet that resonates with you because you've heard that before. God is able, but whether or not he will do it is up to him. But here's one thing for sure. We'll never serve your God because your God is not God. That's what I want for my son. I pray that's what you want for your kids. And I pray that it's not so much that I have to teach it, but my responsibility is to live it so that they will catch it. Praise God for his wonderful gift and this responsibility before us all, not just as parents, but as an entire church body to disciple these children. That's what makes things like Sunday school and Awana so valuable here. You have the opportunity to play a part and crafting arrows for future purposes. Praise God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bow our heads 
or I'm not going to do it. You're going to do it. <laughs> we'll bow our heads. And I'm going to ask you parents that are signed up on the list for child dedication. If you want to go and retrieve your children at this time, it will be a good time to do that. I know they're probably in children's church in the nursery, something like that. You'd like to come up here and, and, and have them recognized. And we want to do that. We want to we want to make this a public, a very, a very public thing. And the reason is, is because these parents are putting themselves accountable before the body of Christ here at Grace Bible Church to say, yes, I will teach my kids what it is to submit to the Lord. And I will live that submission life, esteeming him as God. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, how amazing it is to see this narrative of three boys who are far from home from their roots and are in a stressful, pressurized situation. Life or death is seemingly on the line and what they choose determines what will happen. We admire their tenacity. We are appreciative of their reply and their respect, but also for their refusal to participate in vain things like worshiping false gods. As parents, as adults in the church who will come in contact with all of these children, is the Lord at the center of building our house? Is the Lord at the center of guarding the city? Is the Lord at the center of how we apply ourselves to work? These are gifts. These are rewards. This is a heritage. These children are the future. They need care. They need crafting. They need polishing. And they certainly need aiming so that they will hit the target every time. Whether we are a parent or grandparent, aunt, uncle, wherever we fall, friend, in association, we are not exempt from this responsibility. We all play a part in constantly pointing our kids to the Lord. And God, most of all, in our hearts, I pray that we would recognize just how worthy you are to be the center of their lives. Not us, not them, not our busy schedules, not their extracurricular sports, not their video games, not special occasions, but Jesus Christ being front, center, central, the focus. Father, this is a great responsibility. And help us all understand that unless we are submitted to you, it will not be successful. So thank you, God, that you stand ready as we bow before you, asking for your mighty hand to aid in structuring all of these things and to ensure a confident child-rearing experience. Thank you for being worthy and worthy and worthy. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.